Why does the most powerful Republican in America seem to have no bank account? Uh, I'm Matt Robeson. It's Beyond Politics. I'm pretty mystified right now. We are available wherever you get your podcast, and of course on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. Look, an estimated 4.5% of U.S. households had no checking or savings account last year. But it's a pretty weird question to ask whether Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House of Representatives and one of the most powerful Republicans in the world, one of the most powerful people in the world, is one of them. Just how weird is that? Well, let's ask Roger Sollenberger. He's the senior political reporter with The Daily Beast who broke this kind of bizarre story. Roger, welcome to Beyond Politics. Hey, thanks, Matt. I'm delighted to have you on, and I'm sort of having a, a WTF moment here. What, what did you find out here, in a nutshell? Well, in a nutshell, Mike Johnson has, as the headline says, has, has never reported having a bank account. It gets a little bit complicated. We get into the rules about it, but just the, the general idea is that, yeah, that, that is pretty unusual for any member of Congress, but let alone a Speaker of the House. And I think that that's the, the framework that we have to see this piece in, right? This information is that he's suddenly been elevated to you know one of the most powerful political positions in the country. And on his financial disclosures, you know, they reveal a pretty precarious financial life that he's living. If if what we're looking at accurately does reflect the reality, right? We there are some things that we might not know from these disclosures. We can get to that in a little bit, but that's pretty much the takeaway. And it stands in stark contrast, as a lot of Republicans have been very quick to point out with one of the previous speakers, the previous Democratic speaker, Nancy Pelosi, who had tens of millions of dollars, obviously. And so one way that this story has been framed, the response to it is that, oh, well, this makes Mike Johnson actually more relatable, right? Oh, so he's, you're saying that he's not bought and paid for. Those are not concerns of the story. The story is about Mike Johnson. And according to ethics experts, this is notable and it's worth discussing. We could totally get into that. It is unusual. And I think maybe the way into sort of, I mean, to, to some degree, at least I could understand people in the audience thinking, all right, what's the big deal? And I guess the answer to that depends on well, what's the explanation for this? Because it is unusual. So you got into this a little bit in the article. What could be going on here? I mean, is it, it seems like one possibility is the man genuinely has no bank account, but you don't think that's the most likely thing. I think it's probably unlikely, if not impossible, that Mike Johnson does not actually have a Right. I think what is not just me, again, this is not an opinion piece, sourcing a lot of this out to outside analysts and experts who help inform my understanding of the story. What seems more likely is that he is, like a lot of Americans, probably has an account that does not quite trigger the threshold for reporting requirements, which is a totality of $5,000 in any sort of money market uh, or interest-bearing bank account, right? A, a savings account, a lot of checking accounts uh, carry interest. I have a checking account that does return a very little bit of interest. But those are the accounts that you need to disclose having, right? Johnson either has all of his money in an account that does not return interest, or he has less than a total of $5,000 in some sort of bank account or certificate of deposit or what, what have you that 
returns some interest, right? So it seems to me that that's the most likely thing is that he doesn't have a great deal of money stashed away. Now, I have lived below the poverty line for a long time. I have lived paycheck to paycheck for probably 9% of my life, to be quite honest. I'm, I'm not uh, blind to that existence. And I, most Americans can't afford an emergency, a $1,000 emergency, right? That pops up. So in that sense, yes, it is relatable to the everyday American experience, but the everyday American experience is also not being the Speaker of the House of Representatives, right? One of the most powerful positions in the country. A lot of people want a lot of things from you, right? And for having somebody in that position who might have concerns about his financial security, I think is something that we should be aware of at the very least. And this is not an attack on his economic status or anything like that. If anything, I totally relate to that. But it's it's more of a, a political question, a public public awareness question for sure. I do I do want to point out that he also doesn't have any assets whatsoever that are reported, right? So if you're like, oh, well, you could take that money and maybe he has it in gold, right? Or maybe he has it somewhere like that would also have to be disclosed. The the very weird thing is that there are no assets. It's possible he has some money in a government, like a federal retirement account that he used to report and now it doesn't, but we don't, we don't see that. So it's, it's a question of transparency right now. I do think the story that you've unearthed, which has gotten a lot of play, congratulations, because you're bringing to light a, a really important thing that the public deserves to know about. I agree with you 100%. I mean, you don't editorialize here because you're a journalist. I get to editorialize, which is great. And part of the reason that I'm a member of the Democratic Party is that I want, as a country, for us to work together and stand up for and help people who live paycheck to paycheck and who 57% of Americans, you write in your story, couldn't handle an unexpected $1,000 expense. These are the people in America who deserve help from, from everyone else. So I agree with you 100%. I don't think anyone should be dunking on him if that's his financial condition, but it does raise some really important questions. Um, I think there's one thing that I go. need to leave in here. Uh, to be very clear, Mike Johnson makes his household income is well over two hundred thousand. That's where I was going with this, right? Right. He's in okay, the top right. twelve so, percent of American. So earners. he's not he's not living like I was when I was below the poverty line, making fifteen thousand dollars a year, right? I mean, he's not doing that. He makes well over two hundred thousand dollars. Of course, he has a family. He has four kids, but his wife brings in money too. Looks like she brings in between like fifty and sixty a year. Sometimes he discloses that. Sometimes it doesn't. But he's bringing a lot of money. Now that puts him in the top 12% of earners nationally, but that's also 10 times the average, the median household income for his state, for Louisiana. It's nearly 10 times as much for his constituency as well, a little bit, a little bit less. But he is, he's well off. He's in terms of income, right? Like that's that's the percentile that he's in. He's also not got a negative worth. He's got a positive net worth. His house is worth over $600,000, according to estimates on a number of real estate sites online. So he does have money coming in. It's a question of where's it going? How has he been spending it? And and why that those decisions would be important too. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. 
Exactly. That's that's what I mean is that all of the answers that you've been able to unearth seem to only invite more questions. And again, I don't think you're going at this. And I don't think it comes off in the article that you're going at this from some kind of, uh, see, he's poor. Let's all laugh at the poor guy. It's It's much more a matter of, if we've learned anything from the political experience of the last decade, it's that these kinds of questions about the financial condition of our high profile political leaders matter. And sometimes they're masking things that the public really deserves to know about. I'm just a few months past having Justin Elliott of ProPublica, one of the team that broke the Harlan Crow story on this show and talking about decades of financial largesse coming from a shadowy right-wing billionaire who literally connect, collects Nazi artifacts. I think that's something that we deserve to know about our Supreme Court justice. And we have, of course, the entire experience of Donald Trump, where he hid decades of tax returns. And there's a lot of shady stuff going on. And he's going to face some serious legal sanctions, likely because of that right now. And so there are, there are major questions here. And there's something that stood out to me as a former congressional staffer, someone who's had to deal with questions from nosy reporters like you. I, I thought it was interesting in the story that you contacted Speaker Johnson's office and that they didn't offer a comment. on It would seem like if, if this was just a situation of, hey, this is a man who lives the same experience as his constituents and as most Americans. That's the kind of answer that communications operatives dream of giving to reporters. It's so relatable. It's so great. This is the common man. This is Harry Truman. Like this, this is fantastic. They did not give that answer. If this were a matter of whoops, our bad, you got us. Then political best practice is we made a clerical error here, Roger. We're, we're getting into it. We're looking to clean it up. We're raising our game because we know there's a lot more scrutiny. We're going to get back to you with answers. That's also an acceptable answer. None of those answers are what came from the speaker's office. Did you make anything of that as an experienced reporter? A lot of that answer to that question would be speculative. I think what I can tell you from my experience putting this article together and just reporting generally is that if they had given me a comment that was, oh, it's this is a American that, haha, everybody has an experience like this. I can't believe that you think this is something to be critical of, then that comment would be contextualized and live within the article, right? So that comment would be in dialogue with the rest of the piece, and the piece could respond to or contextualize that article in one spot with the other facts, which is, again, his income is not the typical American income, right? He is not like anywhere near his constituency, right? Very, very high above his constituency that there are some nuances to responding to that argument that could be handled in a written piece that has time and you can actually lay it out because it is complicated and textured, right? But if you wait until after the piece is published and then you have someone like, I don't know, Matt Gates just pouncing on this and you have a one-way response to the piece that recontextualizes the piece itself, then there's another lens to read the entire article. And it's just two different ways of, of responding. We saw how it played out here, but given that response, now I can actually sort of address it with what we've reported. 
Right. And I, again, I don't want to put you in the position of having to editorialize on your own story, which you're assiduously, I think, and, and rightly not doing, which is good. From my perspective, when I was managing a congressional campaign where there were questions about the member of Congress I was working for and his financial situation, and I was having to be responsive on the record to Mike Resendiz of the Boston Globe Spotlight team who broke the Catholic sex abuse scandal and is bulldog-like. I, I, I think the movie really nailed it. And I, I highly respect him. I always had as an objective to be clear, to be factual, and to not ever get caught in trying to withhold something. And part of my objective was to try to shape his stories because I knew that this was going to be big news and I wanted to get exactly what you said, that context in there. So again, this is me editorializing, not you. I found that a little bit curious. I found if they had a good story to tell, this would be the best way. It's sort of political communications best practice to get that angle into the story. That said, that's that's me editorializing. Yeah, always I think in this case, up. in this case, it also would require that the article engage with the comment too, right? So the reporter doesn't just take the comment at the end of the day and just shove it in there and not respond to it. There's information right. given to you in that comment that it might fit or might contradict or but with different facts that are reported in the story. And so I think that that, that would it would live in a different, a different context if the comment, if they had given the comment in the story versus the comments and attacks coming after the story, which is, you know, totally fair. I completely understand that line of thinking, but again, it's a lot is lost to the nuance here. I would also like to point out uh, that not having a bank account, the there was a comment in the piece from Crew, right, from Jordan Liebes, uh, who has years of experience with these filings, with working on litigation and complaints with them. Our crew is is very seasoned and and handling this specific thing. Citizens he, for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, yeah, just for our listeners. Yes, right, nonprofit watchdog, left leaning, but they they're very experienced and seasoned in it, right? But he was saying that one concern for the public might be that, well, Mike Johnson hasn't yet, he's been living this life in a position of relative obscurity. Not many people knew his name. He didn't really wield that much uh, influence in DC, influence over the country. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's now he's the speaker of the house. And when you have somebody in one context with a you know financial position and then you port that over to another context where suddenly this person has lots of influence people are going to want a piece of that person obviously corruption is a bob menendez does not care if there's a d or an r whatever right right but there are simple just or not simple but more broad like human sort of incentives at play here right and the acronym mice right for m-i-c-e for ways that you might be able to compromise a person or work your way into making someone do what you want the m is for money it's the it's it's the first one and that's what Leibowitz was was pointing out in the piece it's like well i mean people and they might not be successful but they might see this as something that, oh, well, there's some sort of vulnerability there or 
maybe there's some sort of incentive on the financial side for this guy. And again, he could be just totally straight up and say, no, no, thank you. I don't care. I mean, God, there's no evidence at all that he's not 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 doing that right that he's completely as far as i know squeaky clean right but the problem is is that now that he's speaker it's it's a different context it's a different interaction with the world's different interaction with powerful people who are trying to influence you i'd also like to point out that uh not having a bank account doesn't make you um, a squeaky clean just that fact alone because one of the most notoriously corrupt congressmen duncan hunter also did not report a bank account. And the reason why is because he kept overdrafting it three times a week for seven years. He didn't have enough money running in that account to disclose it. He was tapping his campaign funds. He was doing all sorts of different things to make up for his spending habits, which were just completely nuts. But same fact, right? They Neither one of them has a reported bank account. So it, it's not a kind of free card at all. And it doesn't absolve you from scrutiny, I should say. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. But it does have this, what are they called? The Matruska nesting dolls, Russian dolls, nature to it. This, this set of questions that are embedded in your basic question here, because it does go in, in sort of curious directions. I mean, first of all, there is a rich bipartisan history of financial corruption, as you allude to in, in Congress. There was the check cashing scandal, there's abs scam, there's Bob Menendez, there's any number of members of Congress. Uh, I mean, they made a whole Eddie Murphy about this uh, movie about this, The Distinguished Gentleman. I mean, by the way, best movie on Congress ever. It, it, it it's, it's practically a documentary in some ways. And so the point is, we kind of should know about this, especially because ostensibly, the whole reason that the most extreme MAGA faction of the Republican Party, and I say most extreme, booted Kevin McCarthy out of his speakership perch was because they were so livid at him for cutting a deal to avoid America breaching the debt ceiling, going over a financial cliff. And they said, oh, we have a $33 trillion debt and you're mismanaging it. We need someone who will be fiscally conservative and manage the nation's finances well. And this could be a case, I mean, just picking up on your story, Tori Otten in The New Republic wrote that several ethics experts offered a reason here for what you're finding, which is that Johnson is terrible at managing the money he makes and may be in massive debt. That seems relevant, especially when the man's first action as Speaker of the House was to offer a bill for emergency aid to Israel that was supposed to be paid for, but the pay for was actually something that increased the deficit because it represented a tax cut to millionaires. This seems like a problem from a policy standpoint if he is so bad at understanding finances. Yeah, I think I'd like to just tag back to an oft-repeated talking point that tends to come from conservatives more frequently than Democrats and liberals, which is like, well, run the country like you would run a household budget, right? The two are not comparable, but if you're making that point, then, and is Mike Johnson, is that the type of budget that you want the country to be running as well, where we don't have 
enough money to trigger a disclosure requirement. Yes, that's 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 bad. It's like you step on the scale and it's like nothing registers. It's like, am I am I here? Is this like the sixth sense? Let's get you out of here on a couple of quick questions. First of all, I love asking investigative reporters. I'm fascinated by investigative reporters. I love asking them, how did you happen upon this? Like, I, I know lots of reporters in Washington are kind of trying to play catch up on this guy. How did how did you get there first? How did you figure this out? I mean, there was reporting about his financial disclosures previously. My, mine was not the first report to take a, a look at what he's, the Wall Street Journal did a report, I believe Business Insider also did a pretty good report on it. It's just that I saw this angle to it and had some questions about it and wanted to see what what could what could be made of it if I was off base and thinking that this seemed unusual to me at first blush. And that's basically it. Just asking questions. And speaking of questions, final one for you. What questions do you still have? I imagine you're going to be on the Mike Johnson beat for a while now, because I'll bet there's more out there on this guy. We know almost nothing about him and everything we found out in the last week or so has been really weird. What questions do you have now about him, financial or otherwise, that you'd most like the answers to? I'm like everybody else. I am still trying to put together my understanding of his full biography. He's done some stints at some groups that are very unsavory or conversion therapy thing springs to mind. And there's just a lot that he's he's lived pretty far on the margins to the right in terms of his religious zeal and his commitment to his his Christian faith, worked for groups that are pretty far right, the right to life. He's made arguments at Louisiana State Supreme Court of, and yeah, attacking gay marriage, trying to invalidate that. I mean, there's just a lot that he's done very quietly for a long time and has just exploded and onto one of the largest public stages. And so now we have about a decade, uh, more than that, 15 years to go back and try to assemble a biography of somebody who's been sort of working working uh, in obscurity so far. But he's a very intelligent guy and he is um, effective at what he does. And I think that it is vital to be able to put that piece of him together with what he's used those talents to do. Right. And see, see what you can make of, of that. I, I, again, just learning. I look, and, and I think that is a great note to end on because less people think, I, I just want to say again, that I obviously have the license to editorialize here. And I think you are very professional and assiduously careful about not doing that and just kind of investigating because these are questions as we've covered that the public has the right to know about. And my final editorial note is that my favorite thing that's emerged about Mike Johnson is that he was instrumental in the creation of the Genist Museum in Tennessee with a full life-size Noah's Ark, including an exhibit showing the dinosaurs that apparently Noah brought onto the Ark. And they believe that those dinosaurs were saddled and that humans rode them. I have no notes. I have nothing to add. It's just chef's kiss. It's absolutely perfect. Roger Sollenberger, thank you so much for your work. Um, it's really vital in the public interest and for being on Beyond Politics. Hey, thank you so much. I had a great conversation. Appreciate it.